Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History. I'm a Hemingway. Today we are getting festive and we're talking about European and French Christmas traditions. This is going to be a two-part series, so you're going to want to tune in next week, too. You're going to learn all about some of the fun traditions around the holidays in Europe and France, especially. And I'll let Claudine take it from there. I always like, I mean, my whole life has become, and my business has become, why? <laughs> and I, there's so many of these great Christmas traditions that, you know, we celebrate in the United States and everywhere. And maybe we don't really know why we do. Um, this is more European driven. And so, but they all have, you know, a lot of these, obviously you're celebrating in the U.S. too. Um, so there's a lot of fun ones. We have so many of them that we could, we'll have two episodes and it's even because it's right now, we want to do it now so that maybe you can incorporate some of these fun little things into your own holiday tradition. Exactly. Let's get European festive in the States or wherever you are. I know. So pour the vin show, the hot wine, you know, no matter what time of the day it is. Um, but the first one we'll talk about is one that actually just passed and it was last week. Um, and every year, this is something that I don't think really is a thing in the U.S. at all. It's kind of not a huge thing in Paris, but every year on December 5th um, in Europe, especially in the north of Europe and the eastern side of France, it's Saint Nicolas Day. And on the evening of December 5th, children um, would wait, put their shoes um, and they put them aside every night on December 5th and hope in the morning they'd wake up and find some sweet treats um, and an orange waiting in their shoe. I love that. I know they do that in Germany too. Like they were, oh, I had a, a friend, he like hid some, some, he put stuff in our shoes one morning and I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I know I did it the other day. I hid shoes. I hid um, chocolates in Alex's shoes. And then I was dropping the hint. Actually, I was dropping the hint that St. Nicola would bring me a pair of shoes, Louboutin shoes, but I did not get those or the chocolates. Yeah, I think, you know. <laughs> But I did eat some of the chocolates I, that St. Nicola gave him. But so the story of St. Nicola, uh, or St. Nicholas, as everybody knows, he was an actual person and at the basis of the modern day Santa Claus. But it is a pretty funny story. And it does include some of our favorite kinds of people that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, he was born on March 15th, 270 um, in Lycia, which is basically Turkey now. The third century saint devoted was very devoted to the church and from a very very early age, he liked to live a life of selfless giving. When his parents died, he gave all the money that they had left him away to help other people that were in need. And Nicola had learned of this man in his town that had three daughters, but they didn't have any money. So without a dowry to be able to give, um, the his daughters were destined for a life of prostitution. Uh oh. So, St. Nicola has a little bit of a, <laughs> has a darker history, which we love. So to keep the, his identity secret, Nicola would walk by in the dark of night and go by the window of this gentleman's home and drop a small bag of gold coins in his window. So once they got the first coin, the bag of coins and riches, the oldest daughter was able to be married. 
Shortly after that, he came back again and dropped another little bag. So the second daughter would get married and he did it again for the third time. So all three of this man's daughters could get married. And you do see there's actually a 15th century Italian painting in the Louvre um, that shows this. And it shows, and I'll put it on the website, that shows St. Nicola on the outside of this window, like reaching up to drop this little bag of coins into this um, man's home. What? Yeah. <laughs> So St. Nicola tried to save people from prostitution is basically. (laughs) This is so European. This is on brand. It is very European. It's like, you know, it's like pretty woman. She was a hooker with a heart of gold. (laughs) (laughs) But the, however, the most famous of all these stories gets actually more, it's actually gruesome, but it has a happy ending. So three boys were lost in the woods. And after days without food, they wandered into the door of a butcher, not the place to go. He promised to give them food if they came in, but was it had a dastardly plan in mind killing the three boys he stuffed them into a barrel of salt and planned to sell them off as pork later what (laughs) merry christmas (laughs) so festive but don't worry nicola found out and arrived in time to revive the boys and he saved them that butcher is now known as pierre futard often seen in images of the saint holding switches by the bad kids it sounds much worse than the threat of the elf on the shelf to me i think maybe they need to revisit elf on the shelf and it's be it's you know pierre futard and he could take your children stick them into a barrel and turn them into bacon <laughs> gross gross but nicola died on december 6 343 so that's why saint nicola day you put this on your shoe you put your shoes out on december 5th and then on december 6th you wake up and there's treats uh, but he's the patron saint of children and guess what prostitutes <laughs> which is so fitting for the legend of his life and we do always love the story with and it come when anytime it's prostitutes or courtesans I mean, we are truly fans of both. Big fans, big fans. (laughs) St. Nicola, of course, morphed into Father Christmas in England and Santa Claus in the United States, all derived from the kind man who delivered gifts to those in need. Um, And so, you know, every year on December 5th, I remember my grandma would do this when I was little. And I just, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, yay, more chocolate. It's so true. But they did say, they do, I did see online, they said in Paris on the Rue des Martiers, that they would still do a thing where there'd be a father Christmas on a donkey that went up the street and would hand out candy and chocolates. But I don't think they've done that since COVID. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So that would have been pretty cool. Um, But the next little thing that we'll talk about now that you know all about the story of St. Nicola. (laughs) The prostitute savior. (laughs) And the prostitute. Um, another favorite thing is the Christmas tree. So it dates back to the 16th century. The first tree was set up at the cathedral at Notre Dame de Strasbourg, which at the time was part of Germany, but now that's France. So let's just say the Christmas tree is French. Um, and the Strasbourg Cathedral, I did go to that a few months ago to go see this special exhibit at the museum there and passed in and went into the uh, church. It is insanely huge. Have you been out there? I have not, not this time. It's massive. That church is like, I mean, it dwarfs Notre Dame de Paris. It's crazy how huge it is. Um, the original trees are dedicated, dedicated, decorated with edible items like dried fruit. 
um, a far cry from, you know, the popcorn garland that people would do. Um, originally, the tree was set up on the solstice on the darkest day of the year. So December 20th or 21st. And like many European rituals, it morphed into a different Christmas celebration. The triangle shape of the tree represents the Holy Trinity. And the star at the top represents Bethlehem. So for those of you that want to add an angel overlooking at you, it's perfect because it's the angel of the nativity. The evergreen boughs of the tree and the wreath um, that you create also represents eternal life. Um, and the bows are always usually should be green, which is a sure sign of hope on those darker months. The greenery used also has different symbolic meanings, which is also with when you make wreaths. Um, the laurel that you use is for victory over prosecution. Pine and and uh, cedar are for immortality. Um, and then also if you use any uh, oak on it, any oak leaves or or anything, it's strength and healing. And, ho and holly also represents, um, symbolizes the crown of thorn and one, crown of thorns that we have here in France. And one legend even says that the true cross was made of from the wood from a holly tree. Oh, from a holly tree. I had never heard yeah. that before. Well, I I mean, at first it was like, because you usually see holly bushes, but I remember my grandma had this holly tree that was, it was massive. And the, the trunk of it was like, you know, it was huge. It was probably like 10 inches around. That's wild. Yeah. But it is kind of makes sense. I was like, oh yeah, the crown of thorns because it's spiky and then holly leaves are spiky. See how it all comes together. Yeah, and yeah. pine cones or seeds, if you add those on there, it means it's for life and um, resurrection. That's so oh, interesting. Yeah. Now we, yeah. well, that tracks. That's less of the um, That's <laughs> weird stuff we've been learning today. <laughs> but maybe I could say you added a red ribbon for the prostitutes. <laughs> exactly. No, I just made that part up. Also, red's my favorite color. But the wreath has a much longer history. It first began as what we see as smaller, and it was the image of a crown. Back in the Etruscan times of Southern Europe, it was a wreath of laurel wreaths that was all the rage. We know the images of Julius Caesar and Napoleon support, sporting the golden laurel wreath on their heads. Those crowns would eventually become the harvest wreaths hung in the homes across Europe. Constructions of elements from their crop, um, it was it would be it was made as a way to mark um, that for the family. Um, it's also this also morphs into another little legend that we have. Um, but it was a way for the family to pay tribute to the prosperity of their harvest. However, we still aren't um, onto the fragment wreaths that you put on your door. But those are all you know those. It took a while to get to that point, but it is fascinating to know how these different little things, because you're like, oh, yeah, the laurel wreath that you always see Julius Caesar wearing. And then it was, oh, these are things that people had in their on their property and what fed them and got them through the year. It's pretty cool. All right. This is more uplifting. I like it. You, you like these ones? <laughs> <laughs> It is a, it is maybe a little bit more for the season. Um, in the 16th century, Minister uh, Johann Weikarn was a pastor who would visit children at the local mission. He came up with an idea to help solve the age-old question of how many days to Christmas. He used an old wagon wheel and covered with evergreen bows and 24 candles. On each evening, one of the smaller candles was lit, and on Sunday, one of the larger candles. This was also the birth of the Advent calendar. 
Um, at first, of course, it was known as an Advent wreath, which if you go into the churches, this is what you find. Um, we just went to Sancy Peace today because it's each of the Sundays is a different um they do the four candles of the Advent, so and they mark them by just the Sundays. So today is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, this was something that families would do all over Europe on every Sunday night. The Advent wreath goes back to the Middle Ages. Each candle represents 1,000 years. So you have four candles that go to 4,000 years. Um, back to the birth of Adam and Eve, which I thought was quite interesting. There's three. The colors are. I don't. I don't think the colors are great. The first three candles are purple. Um, they represent prayer, penance, and good work. The final week, the candle is pink. It re and it represents the rejoicing of the faithful. I just think maybe we could use better Christmassy colors. Maybe we do green and red. Um, <laughs> I'll talk to them back in the 16th century. Eventually, the Roman Catholics adopted the idea in the 1920s with each of Four candles representing a moment in the biblical story of the season. Today, we know Advent calendars as everything from inexpensive cardboard filled with chocolates that you could find, you know, at Walgreens to the expensive ones with the um, Bon Moment jam or a special, even there's a special Christian Louboutin one that I about died when I saw it. And but then got over that when I saw that it was 600 euros. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. My grandmother always had an advent calendar and even she'd buy them and we loved it as a kid because every night you got to open it up and have a little piece of chocolate. Um, and this year I was excited to get my first one in Paris from A La Mer de Famille and the chocolate in it is delicious and we had to separate it. So I get the even days and he gets the odd days. I used to hate that with my brother and sister that we had to share those calendars too. And there was three of us. So. There was three. Oh, that's even worse. Oh, like eternity. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, oh, I can't pray. Like we did it open it the last, last night. So I'm like, okay, now we'll each get a chocolate tonight. Or then maybe I'll just, you know, glue the door shut after I eat all the chocolate. I bought one recently and it had like Reese's peanut butter cups in it. And I came home and I was like, just stop, don't touch this. We have to wait till December because I bought it, you know, November. Yeah. And literally the next day I ate the whole damn thing. I just <gasps> opened it. And I was like, screw this. <laughs> yeah, that is like, I I didn't get mine until I think I actually bought it on December 2nd. And I think I was worried because I thought, oh, they're going to be gone. But I didn't want to buy it too soon because then it would be like haunting me that I would want to open it. But now they have ones that are like, 24 bottles of wine, like little bottles of wine, or you could buy ones that, um, like, I think like Tiffany's does one. And of course it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but you could buy some pretty fancy ones and probably one for anybody's, you know, anybody's hobby or taste, but even just like the ones that you get at Walgreens for like $2. I mean, the, the chocolate was not great, but it's just a fun little tradition you could have. And it's like, Oh, every day, I think they should have those for every month of the year. Like, it's just, you get through February, you get chocolates every day. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think we should just go buy them up at the end of, you know, buy them up in like a week when they go on sale and just be like, I need 11 of these. I need 10 more because exactly. I just need every year, every month, I just have to get through the 24th of the month. <laughs> and sometimes you really need that chocolate. It's just sitting there, you know, yes. waiting for you. Yeah. It's just waiting for you, taunting you behind that little door. But I pick the even days and usually the best piece is the 24th. 
Yeah, they do. I actually, when I ripped open my calendar, <laughs> straight for the twenty fourth. That was the big. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the money piece. The twenty fourth <laughs> is the big one. Um, but now another sweet, wonderful one is the gingerbread house. So the gingerbread may be one of the oldest of all the holiday traditions. It dates back to the year 992 when it was an Armenian monk bought this treat to France near the town of Pidivert, just south of Ile de France, where he would spend the rest of his life teaching other monks how to make this version called Liebkuchen. It could be soft and almost cake-like and also harder cookies, which my grandmother would always make. Later in the 17th century, they actually made a law that on, that certified that only certain bakers could actually make the spicy cookie with a small clause that let anyone make them for Christmas. That's really cute. It is very cute. The gingerbread itself also originated in Germany and was first seen in the 1800s. It was inspired by the age-old tale of Hansel and Gretel. The Grimm's fairy tale of children in an edible house inspired a baker to create one out of late cooking. Um, and I love that. I mean, I've never, I've done it where, you know, you could get those little kits at, you know, the grocery store and put it together. And, you know, I always like peter out. How, I always have these grand visions of creating this masterpiece. And then after about an hour, I'm like, yeah, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm so done with this. I'm so done with this. But you can see like really fancy ones. There's even there's one that I've seen, and I'll put the I'll put a picture of it on the website that somebody made it at made a Notre Dame cathedral out of gingerbread. That is amazing. I want to see that. So cool. And there's other ones like the place I used to work when I did events. They would do these huge one the bakers did, and every year had a different theme. And they did it over, you know, it was look like the this historic building that the property was in, and then they do different themes of different, you know, like animals and stuff. And they're so fun to look at. I just, it's also amazing that people can even do it. I don't, I don't, would not have the patience. Um, but one of my favorite stories might be the legend of the Bush de Noel, which you might be getting some. I know, I know you could get these in the U.S., and they're actually not that hard to make. The cake look like a log because it actually started out that way back in the 11th century the solstice was a night of celebration once we reach the shortest day of the year each day after that we get a sliver of added light counting days the days down to spring i always love that because it's the you know the darkest shortest day of the year to celebrate many of the families cut a log from their dominant fruit trees they bathed it in wine or cognac and decorated with evergreens, ivy, and pine cones. They would then burn it after the sun went down to celebrate the upcoming spring, filled with the wishes for a productive season. I love that. That is sweet. That's nice. And then now that we know that what the evergreen and ivy and pine cones, all those mean, then it adds even more to it. The log was sometimes burned for days and into the new year, which added extra luck. The ashes were saved and then they added a level of protection to the home and they would use these, um, the the ashes also sometimes as medicine. As the years passed, the large fireplaces became smaller and smaller and families no longer held the yearly celebration. In the 17th century, the log itself became a cake, a delicious Genoise cake that is rolled and filled with pastry cream, it's frosted, um, or they use um, jam and roll it up. The cake is decorated and covered with marzipan and meringue mushrooms and decorations still resembling the log from along the way. Uh, but why wait till Christmas every year to do it for the night of the solstice on December 21st? And you can find super fancy ones now. There was the um, the famous, you know, kind of the new, uh, you know, hip, cool 
um, patisserie, this Cedric, I can't remember his last name, Cedric Leon, maybe. Um, and he made one that kind of looks like a giant donut, but it looks like a gingerbread man and it's completely coated with frosting. And then it just has it, all it has is like what looks like a carrot nose. And the thing is like 90 euros. Whoa. 90 like the ones that they have now that are super crazy and over the top are also super incredibly expensive. Um, but there's some really beautiful ones out there, but you could also get them at just about every bakery um, that you find in France and in Paris coming up here in the next cup. The closer we get to Christmas, you'll find them um, a little bit more op. So I will definitely be finding those. There's basically so many sweet treats that you could have in December for one reason or another. It's pretty fantastic. That's maybe my favorite part of all of this is all these, you know, delicious seasonal treats. All the treats. And then, you know, it goes even till January. So next week, we'll tell you about some other pastries and the one that's at the end of the 12 days of Christmas. So make sure you tune in next week, guys, and we'll have more great information for this holiday season. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, claudinehemingway.com.